If you remember the 1960s, 70s, or 80s, you'll remember the name Howard Cosell. He truly was one of the biggest figures in pop culture, and now he's largely forgotten. But we're going to talk to David Halberstam all about the great and interesting career of Howard Cosell. But before we get into that, I want to introduce you to David. He's a uh, former play-by-play announcer for St. John's and New York Radio play-by-play for the Miami Heat. He's the author of a great book called Sports on New York Radio, a play-by-play history. And if you've been back there and everybody that's in New York gets caught up in the sports world, that's a must-read. And also his blog, which is how I found him, Sports Announcer's Report Card, a great blog. David, welcome to the show. Whatever gave you the idea of doing this blog talking about sports announcing well i'm uh, happy first of all to be here with you i can tell you that uh, i've been thinking about it for many years i've done a lot of reading uh, about sports media written by critics who i have great respect for but fellows who really didn't have the on-air experience that's number one uh, my background is one of being a jack-of-all-trades, but a master at none. Many years on air, uh, radio play-by-play, although I did make it to the NBA, but where I put the meals on my table, uh, really on the seagulls and the management side, I ran the sports division at Westwood One and uh, worked in in that side of the business, and I'd written two books, one you just mentioned uh, on the history of broadcast sports and another one on selling sports sponsorships. So now that I... uh, am scaling back. Uh, I wanted to give back even more and create this blog slash website that focuses uh, purely on sports broadcasting, not so much the business side of it, but on the announcing side of it and uh, profiling some of the great broadcasters through the years, memorializing them. And certainly in the case of Cosell, we're doing that. Um, Or Billy Packer, whom I had the week before, uh, who is for so many years synonymous with uh, NCAA tournaments. And uh, it's a, a labor of love, but I've come to learn real quick that it's a lot of labor, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of my time. Well, you know, it's great because you not only talk about the national figures, but you also talk about how important some of these guys regionally were. And I mean, just as somebody who grew up in the Bay Area, I can't tell you how important a guy like Bill King was who did the Raiders and then later the A's, the Warriors. And he was just so good. And I realize a lot of my childhood memories come back from listening to those broadcasts. Holy Toledo yeah. was his famous line. Um, yeah, he was a. Uh... A great versatile broadcaster King was. He did the Warriors and probably uh, most connected with the Warriors, uh, but to the Oakland A's for years. And he was also, uh, for all those great Raiders teams, the radio announcer for Oakland. So uh, he did it all. And in fact, he told me this, that in the early years of the Warriors, in the early 60s, once they moved from Philadelphia, he would do some games by recreation. Wow. So when they went out on the road and made an eastern swing of the station, they not have wanted to invest the travel money that it would take to send King on the road, and he would have someone on a telephone at the other end uh, providing some information, and he would make up some play-by-play and uh, take little skeletal scraps of information and put some meat on it and go to work. And he was tremendous. Oh, he was. And, you know, there were other guys in that thing. I mean, Juan Simmons across the bay, but down in Los Angeles, Chick Hearn, people throughout 
the geographical spots. Are you finding that today's broadcasters are kind of more singular in voice? You know, because these guys were all really kind of unique at the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, what I will say is that they're commoditized. You put a game on today, and there are very few who stand out, who are unique, and have a distinct sound. There might be some you can count, uh, perhaps on one or two hands, a guy like Kevin Harlan, who's both liked uh, and hated by many, that many folks say he screams and others just love him. Uh, and, and there are those, again, who, who have a very um, unique sound and one that's immediately identifiable. But correct, today with all the streaming, with all the cable, with all the over-the-air television, one sounds like the next. And even someone like myself, a student of broadcasting, I put a game on and I can't tell you who the announcer is. So, uh, correct, it's it's just what it is. And things are going to change. Uh, you see where ESPN today uh, often won't send announcers on the road and have them call the game from the studio. Um, and... <laughs> Wow. It won't be like the days of Bill King, for sure. If you're young and are thinking about doing this for a living, I'd say spend a lot of time on this blog because I wish I had it when I was there. You know, it was funny because when I was in college radio, I used to announce with Pat Hughes, who's now the Cubs announcer, and who knew at the time, right? And I wish somebody could have helped me a little bit. I just knew I wasn't as good as he was. (laughs) Well, he is a very good broadcaster. I am uh, one of the voters for the Ford Frick Award, and he was uh, nominated and on the ballot. Uh, he is a great broadcaster uh, who's done more than just baseball. I know he used to do, I'm going to say, Marquette basketball yep. in his days in, in Milwaukee. Yep, 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 and uh, yeah, he did. He did everything like like I did in those days. You know, we we broadcast everything, and uh, that's why I'm always impressed with it when you get somebody like a Bill King. I guess that's part of this too, right? If you're really into sports broadcasting. You get you get beyond just the one sport. You kind of get into the whole thing. And really, it's all about how, especially in radio, I guess, it's all about how you visualize this for people so they can kind of see it in their minds. Yeah, painting the word picture is, is critical. And today, unfortunately, other than baseball and perhaps football, but certainly with basketball and hockey, audiences are diminishing. Uh, sponsor demand is decreasing. And quite frankly, I'm not all that optimistic that games on radio will continue uh, in the fashion that uh, they have been produced to this to this point. And the reason I say this is when you talk to some of the NBA radio announcers, they will tell you that oftentimes they are put on the very top row where they can literally touch the roof, and they're expected to paint the word picture from there when it's impossible to see. So uh, that's an issue. And the reason they're put there is because the seats downstairs are being sold at a premium for lots of money. And teams just can't justify putting the radio announcers and recently even some TV announcers down on the floor. So uh, things are changing and things continue to evolve. And uh, with ESPN introducing the technology where announcers can sit in a studio and have access to a number of monitors, instantaneous data, communication by phone when necessary with the arena. This is something, even though announcers will probably want to stone me, 
for <laughs> even making the suggestion. But instead of sitting all the way upstairs where you can't see something and have to travel to that venue, I'd rather sit in the studio and get a better view. Now, most announcers will not agree with me, but it's coming. You know, that's fascinating, and it kind of fits along with some of the things we're seeing where it's all about being there as a game experience. Because quite frankly, especially a sport like football or hockey, you know, it can be better to watch on television simply because you won't miss anything, you know, and and, and that just kind of goes right along with that. Yeah, it's a problem for that matter for many of the teams. I was watching some of the early rounds of the tournament, and many of those seats were empty. You watch NFL games, and many of the seats are empty. You at home, you can watch any game you'd like. You can have access to numbers. If you're a fantasy player, you can see how your favorite uh, players are doing. So uh, that's a challenge. And, and that's why many of these teams, not to digress, they've got huge staffs doing nothing but selling tickets. There's little demand. You've got to go out and create demand by cold calling and coming up with all sorts of packages that might be attractive yeah. to get people and and people in seats well here in las vegas with the golden knights who have been a huge success it's fascinating we've talked to them and they have a vice president of entertainment and the whole idea is how do you make the game a happening because it's not just for the 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 old days of going to an nhl game and your team that's part of it but it's certainly not the whole thing it's it's got to be an event it has to be uh, and it's tough to uh, adjust and accept that uh, in my years doing the NBA, the league was just changing. But when I grew up, you'd go to the game and the PA man didn't scream and shout and uh, hurt your ears. He called a foul uh, and he did it uh, melodiously and he did it uh, in dulcet form so it didn't kill your ears. And uh, today you go to a game and the music is just thunderous and yeah. deafening. Uh, as you say, the experience is different, but perhaps... Uh, it might uh, satisfy the younger crop of people who go to games, and that's what they want to see. Uh, so it becomes more than just the game. It becomes, as you say, an event. Well, maybe that's why Las Vegas here, where we're finally getting professional sports, it's not just the population's bigger. It's because now, too, that they can match the entertainment <laughs> of, of any place yeah. in the league. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's, uh, it's going to be interesting in Vegas what will occur uh, when uh, the Raiders get there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll be interesting, too. I enjoyed doing the Cosell piece. Uh, uh, Cosell was an interesting man. And anyone I reached out to, and it had to be someone of age, and frankly, anyone 60-ish or above, to be right. frank, because Cosell's height of popularity or visibility really in the 60s and 70s. By the 80s, he became a little bitter and critical, and by the mid-80s, he wasn't as prominent. So uh, guys like Wolf Blitzer and uh, Bob Costas and Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, and the agent David Falk and the former CBS sports president, Neil Pilsen, um, guys who are of age, they were so willing to talk about him, whether they loved him or hated him, but they had an opinion because he was unquestionably network sports first personality. Right. And he did it daringly. Um, for one thing, uh, he took the side of Muhammad Ali 
in a time when the country was very divided, perhaps even more divided than it is today. You had a Vietnam War raging. The younger people were all against it. Some of the older people and the veterans of World War II at the time were staunchly for it and trying to wipe out communism, or at least not communism, uh, see communism advance in Asia. So uh, they were all for the war, and you had a lot of street brawls. And here was a guy like Cosell um, taking the side of a gentleman who was first called Cassius Clay and then changed his name to Muhammad Ali. And he defended him and said, look, he's got the right to change his name. And he's got the right uh, from uh, religious beliefs not to um, be drafted into the military. Um, And people dislike Cosell for just that reason. But the two of them both grew almost in lockstep because they were always together, and um, people either hated them or loved them, but he, uh, Cosell was the most recognized figure at the time of any sports personality. And he would also criticize athletes, which was something that wasn't done until Howard Cosell uh, came to the fore. For instance, uh, one of my early recollections, I'm 66, uh, it was in 1962 when the Mets went into business, and he did the pre- and post-game shows, and it, those shows were a must-listen. You had to listen to them because Cosell would say things that no other pre-post announcer would do. For instance, one day, I remember this, he took a shot at the Mets' first-year manager, Casey Stengel, who at the time was 70, and he accused, Cosell did, uh, Casey Stengel of falling asleep on the <laughs> bench of the dugout. He just never did that before. So he did that, and then, of course, in 1970, when Monday Night Football went on the air, Rune Arledge picked him um, to anchor uh, coverage. And to what we were talking about before, it became more than just sports. It transcended sports and became uh, an entertainment show, uh, Monday Night Football did. So um, Cosell was a part of that. He'll be remembered for Monday Night Football. He'll be remembered for boxing. And he'll be remembered uh, almost as a journalist. Wolf Blitzer, who commented uh, for my stories, said he uh, inspired many journalists, Cosell did, uh, to go into journalism. You know, it's absolutely true. And I remember the one thing that was amazing to me was he would sit there and say that he didn't think athletes made the best broadcasters. And mind mind you, he's working with Frank Gifford and Don Meredith, two guys who played in the NFL. And I always thought he he had a point in the sense that it almost seemed like you had to have been in the game. That didn't necessarily make you a journalist, like you say. Yeah, yeah, no question. And he would taunt and instigate Gifford, uh, and he would go back and forth, as you know, with Meredith. Um, the first year Monday Night Football went on the air, Keith Jackson did the games, yeah. and Arledge then moved um, moved him out and put Gifford in, and Cosell was upset about it. He wanted uh, Jackson to stay on, but he also knew that he wasn't going to wage a battle there and risk his own position, um, but he, he would take sides. Uh, there, there's no question about that. Uh, he also had such a great command of the language that any broadcaster would want to pick up. Uh, (laughs) And if you read my stories at sportsannouncersreportcard.com, you'll see uh, exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things he might say 
this loss does not dull the luster of the Oakland Raiders who are having a terrific year. He always had the right phrase. The only fellow I can compare to him, well, maybe two, but number one would be Costas. And what I mean by that, from a command of the language standpoint, he is never at a loss, Bob is not. We're groping for the right word. He's brilliant, encyclopedic. Another guy, and this may surprise you, and you may not agree, but someone not as much with the rich vocabulary, but a character who can do play-by-play and at the same time can give you an opinion, a bit of an acquired taste, and I believe he's in Vegas today, is Brent Musburger. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that is interesting. Very popular there. And, uh, wow, okay, that that's, does surprise me, but I think Musburger is a little underappreciated. Yeah, he was one of the first play-by-play guys. You look at him in 2010, I believe it was, I was asked by YahooSports.com, which has tremendous circulation, to uh, come up with a list of the top 50 all-time network sports announcers. I had Cosell 1, John Madden 2, because he changed the face of how color is presented doing a football game. And number three, I had Brent Musburger ahead of Al Michaels. Because Musburger did play-by-play, was a studio analyst, uh, or shall I say a host with um, today's NFL or the NFL today and all those years on CBS. And what I really was uh, totally impressed by, as far as Musburger is concerned, is the fact that in 1990 he was dumped by CBS. And it made the front page of many tabloids around the country. And the way he popped himself up off the mat and became a star again, first at ABC and later with ESPN. So I've got a great deal of respect for a guy uh, like Absolutely. Brent Musburger. Well, you know that old CBS Today show, too? At the time, that was a different type of pregame show. I mean, with uh, Jimmy the Greek, Phyllis George. That was an important part. I mean, you look at it now, it doesn't seem like much. But back then, it was a pretty big deal, as I recall. Yes, it was. Um, Phyllis George, I believe, was an old um, Miss America winner and um she married into uh the family i believe um at one point uh, one of the family members perhaps her husband was the governor of kentucky oh right. uh, yeah you had a uh, earth cross on that show as well so right. lots of people who uh made it through the studio but neil pilson who was running cbs sports at the time told me that there was only one person in the history of broadcast sports who people would watch the event because he was doing it, and that was Howard Cosell. So, yeah. Well, and know, one last thing about Cosell, okay. as we talk about him, one last thing. People do not remember what Monday Night Football was. It's not, you know, he, he, I thought Gruden did a pretty good job there, and stuff, but it was must-see TV, and it was for people that didn't necessarily like football. I mean, that brought a lot of different people in. I mean, Rune Arledge's thing, and you got to give Cosell as much of the credit as anybody. Yeah, no question. Uh, he deserves it. Uh, and the reason was back then, network television uh, pretty much controlled 90% of television audience in prime time. Today, you've got so many cable channels, you've got local channels, you've got smartphones, um, you've got uh, pay-per-view, you've got Netflix, you've got so many other distractions that the landscape, landscape is fragmented. Uh, back then, you had the three networks, 
and Warner Wolf made this uh, point to me that uh, even if someone came about today with the talent and the outspokenness of a Howard Cosell, they'd have to compete with so many other figures. So it's right. very hard for someone today to emerge uh, with the visibility of a guy like, like Howard Cosell, no question. And one thing you mentioned in the article, and it brought back memories for me, because I remember covering the Raiders back in that time, watching Cosell do the halftime highlights, and you describe it perfectly. He just sits there with no notes or anything, and he's announcing it as it goes on. And he was he, one take. The guy was incredible. Yeah, he was brilliant. There's no question. He was brilliant. He graduated Phi Beta Kappa. He was a tremendous lawyer. He was a brilliant man. Um, so is Bob Costas. Um, there are a lot of announcers today, and I think, I'm not sure Musburger is that level of IQ, but he's, he's up there, too. Yeah. And not many today. There's one other guy I would say you might not agree or some will argue with me, but I think in the 1980s that Dick Vitale should be given a lot of credit for promoting college basketball. Um, he had the platform with ESPN, which at the time needed college ball because it didn't have baseball yet. It didn't have football. So college basketball was, was their main platform and took center stage. And you had a guy like Dick Vitale who had a style and was colorful and lively and effervescent. And uh, I'm doing a profile on him uh, later this week. So he's a guy who... Uh, deserves a lot of credit for building ESPN in the 1980s. Uh, no question of that. And as Cosell did with Monday Night Football for ABC in the 70s. I'm looking forward to reading that because a lot of people talk about Al McGuire and stuff, but I agree. I think Vital, when you think about the association with the network, makes it really more important. I mean, whoever thought college basketball would be what it is today. Yeah, no question. And today you've got March Madness and, uh, I'm just amazed because for the first time I'm doing a little analysis myself of broadcasters, in fact, just today, because up to this point it was mostly profile stuff and historical uh, columns and pieces that I've done, including for SI and, and USA Today in the past, but nothing where I had to uh, grade any of the current broadcasters, and I did so over the uh, weekend for March Madness, and I'm amazed at how... Uh, thin-skinned broadcasters yes. are. If you don't, uh, if you don't praise them fully, my goodness, they, they, yeah. It's, <laughs> you go out in the public, and you are um, available to watch and see through millions of eyes and ears. You've got to be ready for a little criticism. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially in this culture. Well, your site is great. Let's tell them about it one more time. Uh, sure. It, it, it's a it, sports. It, how do we find it? Sports announcers yeah, report card. I'm eventually going to grow the thing, you know, and maybe change the name. But for the moment, it's sports announcers, plural, sports announcers report card dot com. Sports announcers report card dot com. Uh, I'll never, ever make a nickel on it. I don't sell any advertising. There's no subscription uh, cost. I just do it on my own. Occasionally, I'll get a couple of folks to write a story. But uh, it's a full-time job uh, in my retirement. Uh, so I'm enjoying it, and I hope the readers do, too. And I've gotten some very good feedback 
It's only a little more than two months old. Well, it's fantastic, and I, I got to say, anybody that likes sports and anybody, and I think all sports fans have, the, the announcers are very important in our lives, and it's just great to relive some of these moments and look at what's ahead in the future. So thanks. to Oh, and David, if people want to get the book, I guess they can go to Amazon? Yeah, they can, and, and get that's a book that was published a long time ago, um, but I believe Sports and, um, sports and New York Radio play-by-play history is still available uh, on on Amazon, yes. We'll look forward. Thanks, David. Really enjoyed chatting with you today. Good luck to you.